I think one of the the most valuable parts of our business is it's it's a small family and we all celebrate each other's successes and just being able to do that with a group of people that's remained fairly consistent over time and growing up with them. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Chris, would you introduce yourself? My name is Chris Ionella. I work at a or a co-founder of a company called E-Generation Marketing, which is a Boston-based legal marketing company. The basic idea is we connect consumers who are looking for an attorney with attorneys who are eager to take on more clients. And I've had the privilege of working with Jim over the last couple of years. He's the director of the company and just incredibly knowledgeable. And it's been a really cool opportunity. Yes, what a privilege indeed, I'm sure. But I think it's worth calling out. You have bootstrapped this from idea to approaching like eight figure business. And it's like not only that, but you've built a company where you've been able to kind of remove yourself from the day to day because it's so many people talk about being able to do this. And it's funny before it became like the trendy thing, like you literally pulled it off. And so I'm pumped to get into the details of that. But first, it might be helpful to give context like how we met. So we met mainly because you were interviewing me for a, a spot as a director, which by the way, you guys did a rigorous process. I thought I, I was pretty impressed, but how was that trying to create a board and then even trying to hire myself? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, you made it easy because you're such a talented individual, but uh, the board process was really cool. I think I can give you some more backstory as we talk here, but generally after about eight years in the business, you know, I came to the realization we perhaps didn't know how to get the business to the next level. And we thought partnering with a, a group of professional managers and those who had other perspective would help to continue the, the growth of the business. So I reached out to a longtime friend of mine from high school, you know, a super talented guy. And he had been working in San Francisco in the tech space for years. And he was just about ready to graduate from Stanford, uh, getting his MBA. And, you know, I tossed out the idea that we we're going to start a board. You know, I was a little worried at first that he would think it was silly that I was reaching out and maybe the company wasn't established enough. But long story short, it was received well. We had some conversations and we decided to, to form a board to accomplish, you know, what I had talked about a couple minutes ago there. And we decided we wanted to have three director seats, one of which would be a, a marketing specialist. Uh, a Swiss army knife of marketing, so to speak. And my friend, he had some connections through his previous job and he put us in touch with Jim. And, you know, we all interviewed him. Uh, he passed the interviews with flying colors. We did some hopefully thorough reference checking and uh, the rest is history. We've been super impressed and it's been awesome. Yeah, it's so interesting you going from like bootstrap founder to getting a CEO, then having a board. And I, I, the thing that's impressive is the chairman of the board, Mike, he, Stanford MBA, which I'm actually 
actually anti-NBA. That's a whole nother podcast. But he is one of those people that is super impressive. And I think the NBA probably took him to a whole nother level as far as being really strategic. But that was definitely a selling point is working with, with him. But no, very cool, man. So I think it's always interesting. I think everyone has interesting ideas. But how do you take an idea like, okay, this is actually worth worth some time or energy. Let's see if there's something real here. Like the other thing, not to say that, you know, Legion for the legal space isn't sexy, but I actually love non-sexy businesses because I think there's great margins and opportunity. Talk through like how you even came up with the idea of doing this as a service for legal firms and when you were able to take this from an idea to like, wow, this is actually something real that's a, that's a real business. Yeah, sure. So when I was in high school and in college in the summers, I'd be looking for a summer job. And my dad is a lawyer in Boston and, and his business partner and him, you know, I've had a practice for many years. So in the earlier days, probably the end of high school, I worked at his firm and I was calling on what they referred to as intakes, but, uh, you know, same as leads. And basically, I, I would call these individuals who were, who were looking for an attorney. I would, you know, ask them some questions, gain some insight as to what they were looking for, get some basic details about the case. And then I'd have a conversation with one of the attorneys at the firm and direct the individual in the right direction. So I did that for a couple summers, just gained a lot of insight into the process, built some communication skills. And then I think it was after two summers of that, my dad and uh, his business partner decided they wanted to bring their marketing efforts in-house. So they had hired a director of marketing for their firm. And uh, my summer job was to shadow him and learn what he did and help out uh, in whatever way he needed. And, you know, I had no background in any type of marketing. So, you know, back then, social media didn't really exist. I think actually Yahoo was our, our biggest platform originally, Yahoo Search Marketing. And we worked with Microsoft as well. They used to be separate platforms in Google AdWords. And, you know, while, while the systems have evolved, it was generally the same idea, campaigns, ad groups, keywords, ads, all that good stuff. And we were driving traffic to the websites, trying to meet their goals and expanding their business. I did that for a summer and it was really cool. I learned a ton, um, both about marketing and some like very basic web development skills and very basic programming. And then I think I had a couple other summer jobs, you know, worked for some other family members and just some independent companies. And then it was senior year in college. And I was actually on a vacation in Florida with my girlfriend at the time, now wife and a couple friends. And we had stopped at a, a hotel just for the night. And I woke up just hanging by the pool. And my dad calls me and says, so like, what's your plan for when you graduate? from college. You know, I'm sure I explained wasn't top of mind. Uh, you know, I was trying to enjoy the warm weather in Florida as a, when I could. You know, and he was straight to the point. He's like, well, you know, I have an idea. I think you should start a business. So, you know, I think partially trying to get him off the phone and move on to hanging out with my friends, I said, yeah, okay, sounds good. Uh, like, let's talk about this later. So I came back to Boston and the next week he had set up a meeting between myself and his business partner's son. And I still remember it. We sat in the living room of my dad's house. We kind of talked about the broad strokes of how the business would work. You know, we would operate in a very similar way that we had for our parents' firm. And, um, you know, my, my business partner, he had also worked there in the summer in various roles. So he knew how a law firm worked from the inside. And 
you know, my dad explained that he had spoken to some of his friends and they were interested in learning more about marketing. Most lawyers don't really have a strong marketing background. They, they went to school for law, you know, not business and especially not marketing. But, you know, th- that was an important part of their business. So we decided to give it a go. At the time, you know, I was still in college. I had a couple of months until I graduated. So, you know, the early days, we decided what we were going to do is we were, we needed to get clients and we needed a website. We're step one and step two. So we, we threw up uh, a basic website based on the knowledge that we had gained working at our parents' firm, just probably five to 10-ish pages using a template. Then it was, all right, now we got to get clients. We know that we can get these clients for for our new business. Uh, We know we can get the clients for the law firms. So we came up with a strategy that we were going to just cold call. And first hurdle was we didn't have enough cell phone minutes. So we decided we were going to get a Skype number, which I think was like above $5 a month. And what we would do is we would go back and forth rotating, just cold calling law firms. So I would make a call he would make a call. We got a lot of traction early on. You know, people were willing to talk to us. The lawyers, they, they wanted more cases. And the business just grew organically over time. We were, you know, obviously super scrappy at first. And we were making Skype calls out of either, you know, one of our bedrooms or sometimes we even just sat in the car outside of a coffee shop and connected to the internet. And then eventually we were able to bring on a couple employees. We didn't pay ourselves anything for a while. And then when we did start paying ourselves, it was incredibly a small amount of money. But it made sense for the point in uh, our lives. We didn't have any financial obligations. We were young kids. We were willing to give it a go. And I think that's what allowed us to bootstrap the business, just saving for years. That's awesome. So basically you kind of had with any startup, there's this idea of like product market fit of having experience at a law firm, it's like, okay, you see there is demand for lawyers, for law firms to be paying for these leads and and paying handsomely because of the lifetime value they can make from it. So you prove there's like business here and then you kind of get the nice little like kick in the butt from the family. It's like, hey, you guys should try this. So the thing that I actually don't know is did you guys put any money into it or you're just like, let's just be super frugal and as you make money, you can reinvest it. And what point did you decide to make the first hire like do you remember even like how big the company was yeah great question so i don't think we ever put any money into the business we might have put like a couple hundred bucks but i don't think we had much money you know (laughs) (laughs) to put into it so we basically thought of a, a model a pricing model that allowed us to get a small sum of money up front from the clients and we would use that money to fund, you know, our very, very basic operating costs. And, and then, you know, we had short billing periods and all that kind of stuff to really have a, a quick cash cycle. Yeah. So basically going from the, the super small bootstrapped or, or the, the super scrappy model to, to more of an established company, it happened slowly. So first what happened was we decided to hire an employee. It was actually one of my, uh, a good friend from high school, different friend than the chairman. And uh, he had just graduated from college and we decided we were going to set up a piece of plywood in my bedroom. And the two of us would sit at the the piece of plywood and we just kept on calling attorneys. <laughs> my, my stepmother didn't love that because I made a mess of the kitchen cooking lunch every day for us. For the, for the entire office. Yeah. Free lunch. Nice. Of course. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think we probably did that for about a year-ish. The thought was like, the only person that could work in my bedroom with me was like going to be a good friend. <laughs> 
So we couldn't really make an official hire. And then um, my dad and his partner came to us and they said they had a little room in their office that they weren't using. And I think our rent, it was a couple hundred dollars. I don't remember the exact amount. So we agreed to do that. And what we did was we just built desks all around the perimeter of the room. I think we had like six desks in there. And at that point, there were three of us. And we decided, you know, we'd look outside and we'd hire an intern just to make sure that it was a good fit and whatnot. So we hired uh, an intern who was at school in Boston and it worked It worked great. He worked for us for three months. And then after those three months, we decided when he, he actually was from Ireland, he moved back to Ireland. We decided, okay, this is going great. Let's hire two more people. And um, our next two hires, one of which is our current day CEO, you know, were awesome and really helped to grow the business. We stayed in that space, I would say, for about a year. And then we just, we were just, you know, saving every penny we had. And then we decided we needed to get like an official office to kind of grow the team some more and legitimize ourselves. So we found this neighborhood in Boston that, you know, had like a lot of abandoned buildings. You know, no one was really spending much time there. We found this awesome space that was very affordable and we bought it. And we just got so lucky because today it's like the place to be in Boston. You know, everyone wants to work there and it really helps us to attract talent. And I think it's a huge advantage owning the office space. So. Did you use capital from the business to buy the building or was that from like your own personal finance? Yeah, well, like the only money we had was from the business. So it, it would have a different company owns it. But you know, the general idea was we made, uh, I think, distributions or somehow tr- transferred the money from one entity to the other. They're, they're on affiliate. Very cool. Super smart. So and one thing to back up so people know, it's like the business you're in, it's the law firm will pay a certain amount for a lead. You're capturing the lead through search engine optimization or through Google ads or some other paid source. And you, you're making money on the difference, on on that spread, right? And so like in the early days, how much was were you having to spend on paid ads versus SEO? Because obviously I see that as like being one of the big line items. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I don't remember the exact numbers. You know, I do know that like we had substantial credit card bills. <laughs> even from the early days. And luckily, we didn't have any problems paying them. Yeah, I, I don't know the spread, to, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, but I think that's worth calling out that you would use credit cards to be able to fulfill demand and you could pay them off as you're getting paid from the lawyers and from your partners and whatnot. Very cool. So what I'm interested in, even, even as a business owner myself, like there's these different inflection points. Idea to like, hey, I have something real. It's like, okay, now the company's more than just you and the co-founder and there's people. And then it's like, wow, we're hitting hitting seven figures while we're hitting 10 or 20 employees. Can you talk, when you look back, what are the big inflection points from either highs or lows? Like highs, like, wow, like that was a big game changing moment when we hit that milestone or like even the opposite of, wow, this inflection point was the hardest. Because I think that's one thing to call even myself, because it's so fun to have like, oh, these ideas. But the truth is in the execution in the messy middle where you really can like make or break a company. Like what were those inflection points for you as you're like approaching eight figures? Yeah, you know, not having any professional experience outside of this business, the whole thing has been a learning experience for sure. You know, various highs and lows, I would say most of them uh, involve people. You know, I was never a people manager and, you know, I value relationships with others. I, you know, I, I hope that most relationships are favorable. But, um, you know, I would say most of the lows are when an employee didn't work out, um, their relationship didn't work out for whatever reason. And, you know, th- there's all different reasons. 
And, you know, thinking about how, how do we approach this in a way that makes sense for, for both the employee and the business and having those tough conversations. And, you know, I would say like the highs are also also involve people. I think one of the, the most valuable parts of our business is it's it's a small family and we all celebrate each other's successes. And just being able to do that with a group of people that's remained fairly consistent over time and growing up with them. So whether that's celebrating a life event like the birth of a child or going to the, a wedding or you know the, the numerous work uh, celebrations, whether it's on the, the tech side, some big milestone with releasing a new product, maybe on the marketing side, hitting a, a certain number of leads, you know, and then uh, I, I think the ones that are less expected are like when the big deals come through. So I think those are the easiest to celebrate because it's like hitting a grand slam. So, you know, one one in particular comes to mind that we were at a conference and there was an opportunity to sign a really big client that it would take us to the next level. It solved a lot of issues we had and, and we knew it was a possibility. So we have a cocktail party for our clients at this particular conference and the cocktail party had ended and we found out I think during the cocktail party that like this deal was, was definitely going to happen so we decided we wanted to celebrate like we had just won the World Series we decided to uh, get a little silly and um, shower ourselves in, in beer and whatnot but it was awesome because uh, it, it's memorable we all still talk about it and you know I, I think it called out how large of an accomplishment it was to get like you know more into the the specific and points. You know, I would say like early on, there was a point at which probably we moved into our own office space where it's like, okay, like this is a real business. We need to start putting some processes in place. We need to start developing a strategy. Prior to that, it was more of like a test uh, and, and a lot changed there. Then I like to think we did an awesome job growing the business. But then there was also a point at which I came to the realization that my skill set didn't make sense for the business anymore. Not having that professional experience, not having outside perspective. You know, I just didn't really know what to do. So I, I decided to step back from the business. And I think that was perhaps like the best choice ever. It's given me a lot more perspective. You know, now that I look back on it, I think I was like way too much in the weeds. My title at the company was the president, but I don't think I was doing like activities that like, you know, a president of that size company should be. I think I should have been more focused on strategy and whatnot. But, um, you know, being able to partner with an awesome group of professionals has, has been super exciting and super rewarding as well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning so much right now. Yeah, so the highs are spraying champagne or the champagne of beers all over yourself after closing a big deal. Love that. I do think that's it. Like as companies grow, you're the quote unquote leader, CEO, founder, president, whatever the title is. But like the truth is, if you're doing it right, you're firing yourself from jobs because usually you're you're kind of a generalist. Maybe you have specialist tendencies in things. But as you grow, it's almost like a shot to the ego. Sometimes it's like I'm not the best person to be leading this specific initiative, whether that's like SEO, SCM, or HR, or talent acquisition. I think having that self-awareness is super important because I've been a part of companies where there wasn't that awareness and it can kind of really impact things. It's funny that you're saying having the professional background and training, because I do think learning on the job is one of the best ways to do it. Were there any points where you like found yourself really struggling? Even for me, hard parts are like, crap, I have to let somebody go. The first time you do that, it's like you can't sleep the night before 
before and even just making strategic decisions. And then in three months, you're like, well, crap, that was the complete wrong decision because I've gotten shiny object syndrome with partnerships and whatnot. Can you think of any of those that you have learned from or just like the, those hard moments that you were going through? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the, the whole thing has been a learning experience. And I think being in the trenches, so to speak, is super valuable. You know, I would say looking back on it, something I probably would have done a little bit different is I probably would have leaned more on books and, and mentors and that type of stuff. I think I was always hungry for information, but I wasn't really aware of where I could find the information. And I think there could have been more success with more thought partners. In terms of like specific tough decisions, there's just so many. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, we didn't know how to structure a contract, for example, in the early days. And we've learned so much on how to protect the business, for example, over time. We, let's see, uh, hiring, that was another one, like, you know, didn't know how to hire. I mean, I'm still learning. Jim has taught me so much about that. And, you know, a, a book that's awesome that he recommended, it's called Who?, and, uh, you know, the idea of like creating a scorecard and, and rating people against the scorecard, you know, really reference checking. I think perhaps in the early days we were hiring more on who would we want to be friends with, which, you know, I think is a common mistake. Yeah, that's such a good point because I've made that mistake where it's like, hey, I'd love to have a beer with this person. They fit in great. It's like, no, it just means they'd be great to have a beer with. It doesn't mean they're going to hit deadline or whatever else. But yeah, I, I agree. That framework of who is is amazing. And we can put that in the show notes. Another thing that I like to call, if you look at the top growth companies, obviously I'm sure their growth and marketing teams are amazing. I would look at their HR and talent acquisition teams because one startup I was at, we actually hired someone that placed people in acting roles for TV shows because she was such a great spotter of talent. And she helped take our company. We got like 150 new people just because she was a machine at that. And I totally agree. Like hiring, it's so important and so hard to, to nail down. Yeah, no, for sure. Very well said said. And I think we've gotten better at it over time. But you know, as with anything else, there's just so much to learn. And now that like with the availability of just so much more information, even than 10 years ago, and in audiobooks and podcasts and all that good stuff, it's a lot easier to figure out how to do it right. Totally. So you've built this company that essentially now runs itself without you and your business partner. You're, you're able to like step away. You hired a CEO to run it and he has been in place. Is it two years or a year and a half where it's, it's literally run without you? Is that about the right time frame? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of people talk about this. What advice would you give to people that are looking to, you know, kind of sunset themselves, right? You did it. Bezos just did it with Amazon. Like what, 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 what advice would you give? <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, an unfair comparison. <laughs> Many but yeah, I, I guess first I would say put a lot of thought into it. So does it make sense for you? You know, you hear a lot of stories of people who decide that they want to step back, but maybe that they actually don't truly want to step back. So I, I think it's a, a big thought exercise. And, you know, stepping back can look like many different things. You know, you, you can obviously have a director seat. You can collaborate on certain uh, projects of high interest. You can completely step back and, and have no involvement. So I would first say, think about what makes the most sense in your personal scenario and be real about it. Then, you know, I'd think about like, is it the right time for the size of the company? Obviously, as the company grows, you can attract higher talent, you know, with higher talent, perhaps you pay more. But
but is the company of the right size to attract someone that you're confident will be able to continue the, the growth of the company? And I think that's something that we were shooting for to kind of just get to the size at which it would be interesting to others. Yeah, that's almost like a nice checklist to have. It's like, are you even ready with your own ego or what you want to focus on? What does that look like stepping back? Because I agree, it can look like a lot of different things. And the other thing that even I'm realizing in my company is like the size we need to be to have true A players in specific roles. So no, man, that's really well said. So I want to kind of, the other thing that's interesting is I think you've done a really good job of diversifying and like scratching some other itches as you've stepped back. You've gotten involved in e-commerce business. You've gotten involved involved in real estate. I want to compare those business models, but first, could you just kind of give a high level of some of the other things you're doing as you're like investing or building portfolios as far as real estate goes and uh, e-commerce? Yeah, sure. So uh, you'll see a common theme here that uh, I never come up with the ideas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just listen. But yeah, so my aunt, um, she's been in real estate in Boston for her whole career. And she was uh, very present in, in our family, you know, with family gatherings or just hanging out with her on the weekends. I was exposed to a fair amount of real estate. As a young kid, she would take me to, to her listings and she'd even pay me like a really small commission, which was pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, well, once like the business started having some success, she pushed us to invest in real estate, which, you know, ha having someone to mentor us and share a wealth of knowledge, it seemed like, yeah, like, why not? So a super small, um, inexpensive condo, about the, the cheapest one you could possibly buy in Boston, just to learn the whole process. And, you know, did that for a couple of years. And, and then we got our office. That was the next one. And then uh, with time, we decided to invest in some multifamily properties within Boston. I, I guess, uh, do you want me to compare now or should I go on and tell you a little yeah, bit? Well, yeah, let's, let's hit on the e-commerce business. So I think that's super cool, like building up that portfolio of real estate. So like, and now you're kind of doing, you know, the, the e-commerce thing, if you want to like hit on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, another cool story, you know, having been in real estate for a while, um, you know, I, I got my construction license and I've always loved to build things, even from a, a young age. It's been a, a passion of mine. So do a lot of construction projects. And one of my friends from high school, this is the third friend from high school. <laughs> <laughs> so he was in the construction industry for years and we were doing a project one weekend and he, he showed me some tables that he had made, some really fancy high-end dining tables. And he tossed out the idea. He's like, man, I want to start a custom furniture business in Boston focusing on uh, high-end dining tables. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, let, let's see what happens with this. You know, I'm open to talking. And he reached out, I want to say like a couple weeks later, and he was like, you know, I've, I've got a business plan here. Let's let's start this business. We sat down and I think it made a lot of sense. We had complementary skill sets. You know, having some tech marketing background would help to drive customers to his site. And then, you know, we both had a fair amount of construction knowledge. And, you know, he had been building custom furniture for most recently. So he knew the customer, the uh, custom furniture business. You know, we did some competitive research. After not too long, we decided, all right, let's give this a go. And it's now been about two years. The, the business is super successful. You know, I, I really like it because the product that they're building, I think of as family heirlooms. It, there are tables and pieces of furniture that will likely 
live on for generations and they're all custom creations. Yeah, I mean, it's just going awesome. My friend is, he has the energy that I had 10 years ago. <laughs> for many years, he, he kind of traveled the world and had a bunch of fun and he decided he needed to start a business before uh, having kids and settling down. So he's got all the energy right now and he's just absolutely crushing it. Dude, that's awesome. Just so I understand like the baseline of the table business, it's falling to my favorite category of e-commerce where it's somewhat niche it's high average order value and it's i do like custom so how much are these tables are they like thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars yeah definitely thousands um so i would say average tables probably i mean it's tough to say an average i would say the tables probably start let's say at like three to four thousand depending on size and a 15 15- the $20,000 table is, it's a thing. Oh my it, gosh. Amazing. Super, super high end. So what's the time and cost to make one of these tables? Like, so I'm like, okay, I want the $15,000 table. Do I get that overnighted? How long does that take? No, it, it takes about 12 <laughs> weeks. Um, it's a very collaborative process. You know, while it, you know, it is e-commerce in a sense, it's kind of partnering with, with a craftsman. Mm-hmm. So there is like a, a service side to this. So generally what happens is, you know, everything's completely custom. And these individuals who are looking for a piece of furniture generally have some sort of inspiration. They'll share some photos. And then someone at uh, the table company, it's called Cannon Hill, will uh, draft up some sketches and and they'll kind of work through the vision of the table. Inevitably, they'll quote it. And there's just so many choices to make. The the type of the leg, the type of wood, the type of tabletop, whether it's a single slab, uh, meaning like it's just a slice out of a tree, or it's two slabs glued together, which is called uh, book matched. Whether it has a live edge or not, it could be boards, can be all different types of wood, different lengths, can have extenders. And then, you know, your mind can go crazy with (laughs) bases. So, yeah, it's cool. Dude, the flex you just did on your woodworking knowledge was quite impressive. Well done. (laughs) I'm actually on the site right now. This is really nice stuff. So I want to get into, okay, so you've done essentially a marketing firm, you know, specializing in legal services with lead generation. You're doing real estate. You now are like getting exposure to e-commerce. Compare those three. Which ones are you like, oh, wow, that's the business model going? Or like, man, that one's painful. Or what is your thought as you're doing the three of these, your big takeaway? So there's similarities and differences. You know, I I think one thing that's pivotal part of all of them is having strong marketing efforts. So whether it's the lead generation, the property, uh, identifying properties or finding tenants or selling tables, having a strong funnel of leads and interest. In terms of comparing the businesses, you you know, the the first one, the lead generation company, eGen, you know, I would say that's the leanest operation. It's, you know, probably the least mature industry. I guess it kind of depends on personal interest. One thing that I didn't love about, you know, working in that type of environment is you sit in an office all day, Uh, you sit behind a desk and you're on a computer. I like to move around and uh, get some exercise and have conversations that aren't necessarily always work related. So I think that's why, you know, I, I gravitated towards some of these other areas. You know, in terms of 
property. There's a physical product that is tangible and it's really rewarding to build something and be able to look back on it and feel proud and realize that it's going to be there for a while. You know, it takes a lot more capital though. Uh, you know, I think it'd be really difficult to bootstrap a real estate holding company. Obviously some, some other models lend themselves more to bootstrapping. And, you know, in real estate specifically, everyone is in real estate, you know, well, not everyone, but most, you know, a lot of people own a house and whatnot. So it's a competitive industry. So you got to figure out a niche that makes sense for your objectives. In terms of the table business and, and you know, the e-commerce side, I would say like the, the challenge there has been like learning the manufacturing and being able to balance that. I, I think the, the team has done an absolutely fantastic job and pretty much nailed it down. But over the, the first couple of years, there was a lot of learning there. It was something that was unfamiliar to me and unfamiliar to my friend who who founded the company. You know, I, I like that one too, because similar to the property, it allows you to, to get out and use your body and have fun conversations while you're working. You know, I think business like that is probably harder to bootstrap than a company like eGen, but I don't think it's possible. You know, my friend, he started with a smallish sum of money and he was incredibly scrappy and still is to this day. And, you know, a lot of his story is pretty similar to the eGen story. Yeah. It sounds like as far as bootstrapping, starting with minimal capital, obviously the, the marketing service is kind of up. Real estate's great for potentially like the, if you have tenants, the reoccurring cash flow and less investment of time. And the, the e-commerce one, it's super interesting and exciting building this brand and the products. Obviously it is capital intensive. And like, I'm sure he, you guys are going through some growing pains as you're like looking to, to scale, making these $15,000 tables, right? No, I mean, that, that's super interesting Get exposure to that. So like if you, so this kind of gets to the idea of if you were starting today, which is, you know, podcast is themed around that. What would you like, what are like some half-baked startup ideas or, or, or things you're interested in, in doing, right? And obviously there might be some constraints because you, you're limited on time. You're about to have a kid, but like some half-baked startup ideas you're into right now. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I had an awesome opportunity uh, at the end of 2019 to head over to Europe. My wife and I always wanted to take a, some time off before starting a family and um, we enjoy Europe. So we figured that that's where we should go. And at that time, my body just wasn't feeling great. I think I was just like overly stressed. I wasn't eating well. So I took a lot of time to self-reflect and, you know, just work on self-help and, and uh, improving my health, mostly just like acid reflux type stuff. And man, the food over in Europe is just so much healthier than the food in America. You know, this is probably going to be surprising, but a really common question I got when I was over there is like, why is the American diet so unhealthy? <laughs> I thought that people would be asking me about New York City or LA or celebrities or whatnot, but so many questions were around the, the diet that we eat here. And I just found that the food was so much healthier. I actually decided to make a, a big move, which some will laugh at. And, and I, I'm eating a plant-based diet now, but best choice I ever made. I feel better than ever. And it was really easy to do in Europe. Um, even not speaking the language, I could go to the supermarket, I could find healthy options because they had symbols and whatnot. And, you know, just a, a plethora of restaurants that offered plant-based food that, that I think tastes better than regular food. And then, you know, now in Boston and America, it's so hard to find. And as I think about it, like there's so much stress in our society and people are moving so fast 
you know, I think everyone wants to be healthy. There, there's so many things that, you know, individuals are doing to have a healthy lifestyle, but the stuff that we're putting in our bodies is still just like so terrible. So, you know, I would love to see some healthy plant-based food options that are affordable and accessible. I'm not going to do this myself, but if anyone wants to do it, I'll be a customer. Yeah, no, I agree. It's so funny because like we did our honeymoon in Italy and even as we were trying to like stuff our faces, it's just like the portion sizes, the ingredients. I still felt fine Whereas sometimes I have meals here in the States and I'm like, I need a nap. You just don't have the energy. I know, man, it's ridiculous. Not to mention our portion size and like the whole super size me culture it's a little embarrassing when you like look at it from a global perspective yeah i was just completely caught off guard and you know i think in my personal scenario i might be a little biased because like my body and you know i think my mind just feel better than ever so i i benefited from uh, well i've seen the benefits so it's hard to adopt early on when i first told my wife i was going to do this she i had stayed up late on my computer and i woke her up uh, in the morning and i said Hey, I'm going to start eating a plant-based diet. And she still describes it as the worst day of her life. <laughs> so now she's eating a plant-based diet, essentially. Oh, yeah. And she loves it. Now she says it's the best choice that she's ever made. It really just comes down to it's a, it's a lot of legwork to prep all the food. And, you know, a lot of people just don't have that time. Yeah. Well, I, the thing I like about that idea too, it's like very much problem solution based. Another thing is like, we're trying to make investments, like thinking of an investment thesis. One thought is like, will this trend be going up in 10 years? Like, will it still be something? And, and I do think it is something that will only be going up and up as far as like something people care about. It's a matter of like who, who can kind of capitalize on it. Nice, man. No, I, I, I like that. So I'd love to know what you mentioned before, like books have been something that you wish you would have read more of whenever you were running EGEN. Like what are some books that come to mind that you wish you would have read or that you would recommend? So yeah, with the availability of audiobooks now, you can get into this cycle of just craving information and they can make like household chores so much more fun if you just throw in your headphones, as I'm sure many of you know. But um, yeah, to answer your question, I think the first first book that you know I really fell in love with was Principles by Ray Dalio. It's a long book, but it, it covers just like a really wide spectrum of super relevant business knowledge. You know, I really like the idea of being radically open-minded and just having really quick learning cycles, making decisions based on uh, professional insight and, and mentors and uh, evaluating who was most appropriate, how to weight someone's credibility. Sorry, that took a little while to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And it's funny, that, well, first, even before talking about principles, I agree, like audiobooks have been a game changer for how I can read books. I almost, like my wife doesn't count it as reading when I do an audiobook, but I, I did the one for principles as well because like there's no way I'm going to read this entire thing. But it's like when you do his audiobook, it was actually super helpful just hearing how he approached building like his massive hedge funds and businesses. Um, yeah, that's an awesome one. Some other ones, you know, I, I, re I read your book, Jim, which is, uh, I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, it had so much information packed into it. And uh, I thought it was just like ton of meat. And it really gives a, a nice overview of the different digital marketing options. And if you're new to marketing, 
Um, or even if you're established, you know, I, I learned a lot from that book as well. You know, it, it gives you uh, a, a great overview and it can help you focus down in uh, different areas that might make sense for your business. That's our paid sponsorship. So thank you, Chris, for the plug. Uh, but no, man, it's super nice of you to say. Um, yeah, no, you deserve it. And uh, I would say one that I recently read that I've enjoyed is how to, uh, you know, more, this is more on, um, uh, I would say the people manager side is how to win uh, friends and influence people by dale carnegie it's a super old book i think it was written in like the 1920s but you know i think it gives a lot of solid insight on, on how to communicate and how to um to have productive conversations yeah that's an awesome one and one that you and i have been talking about is scaling up that like i think you and i are like i know you've been trying to implement some of it with the real estate stuff that you're doing at growth hit we've been working on scaling up and the thing that i like about it it's essentially a framework for how to like run and scale a business and it it's very very tactical and exactly what to do and they have like the the rockefeller habits that you can follow so that one's one that like i I always also judge a book that I read that I like, but then what's a book that I'm like, okay, I got to reread that and like extract out everything out of it. And for me, scaling up has been been one of those that's been huge. I know, I know that's one that you've been kind of noodling around with. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, another gym recommendation. So uh, I get most of my books from Jim. Uh, so thanks, Jim. I try to read most of them. So if you guys are looking for books, definitely ask Jim. Scaling up. Yeah, I, I learned a bunch from that. I think uh, one of the, the coolest takeaways was how to have goals that flow through the organization and allow an employee on any given day to know if he or she is successful. And then, you know, bringing that up to the next level and then ultimately all the way up to what they define as like a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, which is like your one main thing that the whole company should be driving towards. And the, they, they do a really good way of describing how to connect all the different pieces so that, you know, the whole team is inevitably working towards that one objective. Wow, that was really well said. You know what, That it's funny, that's literally my favorite takeaway from the book. I grow with it, like my one metric every week is like, okay, did I have three qualified sales calls that week with prospects? Because at the end of the day, like I'm in charge of revenue and sales. And so that's what I have to use to measure myself. Like, do you have one like with either, with any of the businesses that you do that you're tracking or that somebody's tracking that's been pretty helpful as far as like getting results? Do any examples come to mind? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think the one that I'm most excited about and I just went through the exercise with was the property company. And uh, we decided that based on what our objectives are, that cash on cash return made the most sense. So, uh, you know, basically trying to focus on a cash on cash return that allows us to expand our portfolio at, at a rate that's attractive to us. Yeah, that makes total sense with the real estate side. Very cool, man. One kind of question that I totally stole from uh, Invest Like the Best, you know, what's in your professional career, what is the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for you? Wow, okay. Well, I think just generally people who are interested in one another and caring and, and value relationships and want to have true meaningful relationships. So uh, I've really valued the, the family aspect of the different businesses and, and being able to, to grow with the teams. So uh, specifically, yeah, I got to put I got to put your feet on the fire. I want to I want to hear one specific story. Well, I, I guess the <laughs> one that uh, comes to mind is at EGen, uh, the the team threw a surprise 30th birthday party for me, which was pretty cool. They rented a, a big house up in the Berkshires, and the the whole team was invited and. Most most of them made it and we just 
had a chance to hang um, outside and play games and have some fires, you know, did some cooking. And uh, they actually booked some time at a, a treetop adventure park, which was pretty cool. So I'd never been to one, but it's basically, it's similar to like, say, Ninja Warrior, but for people that would never qualify for it. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> yeah, so we, we got, had a bunch of different courses and we, we hung out in the trees for a day. And I always look upon that trip as uh, a very fond memory. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty nice when your colleagues or employees like actually are excited to hang out with you outside of work for an extended period of time. And it's, I think that's like a credit to them enjoying the culture you've built and whatnot. But yeah, that, that's pretty impressive. Thanks. Yeah, no, it, it was an awesome experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, nice, man. Well, any closing marks, any like where, where could people find you or anything you want to plug? I don't know if you want to shout out the e-commerce store again or anything. Anything else that, that I could do for you? Yeah, no, I mean, if you want a table, definitely check out Cannon Hill Woodworking, cannonhillwood.com. <laughs> you know, I'm not super active on social media, so maybe I should be, but I think I have like, <laughs> two Twitter followers, so uh, no one's going to be really impressed by uh, my social media presence. <laughs> nice. But, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, listening to the story. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chris. This was a blast. Cool. See you, Jim. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthIt.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.